0: Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 1 through 5 and verses 20 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest's and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Verse 20, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. you. You may be seated.
1: Well, again, good morning, and welcome to the Olathe campus of Christ Community. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be with you, good to be together. And let me just even say, I did this at 930 as well. Uh, thanks for putting up with how crowded it's been in here lately. Uh, we know that it's been a little harder to find a seat. I know at least at 930, we ran out of parking spaces. Uh, we, we feel that that with you, and so some of you are maybe a little snuggled up closer to people you prefer not to be. Um, but thank you for doing that. The solution is coming uh, 12 months from now, God willing, we'll be in a new building. Uh, we're hoping to break ground uh, later on this month um, and begin work on that. And so it's coming. Just uh, hang with us, snuggle close, um, and we'll, you know, we'll get to know each other. So uh, let, me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. God, I'm so grateful for your word. Uh, and Lord Jesus, I pray that as we look at this story, um, I pray that they wouldn't just be words on a page, but that you would show us um, where we fit into the story and that you would help us to see how you are the solution. You are our hope and our Savior. So be with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this past spring break, uh, we went to, to visit Kelly's family. Kelly grew up in Florida. All of our families in, in Florida. And so we try about once a year to, to make our, our trek, our annual pilgrimage down to, to be with them. And, uh, and we drive. It's a long drive, but we've done it so many times by this point, it's maybe 18, 19 hours. Um, but it ends with a beach, right? Um, and my in-laws, so there's that. Um, but it's, it's okay. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. We've done it enough. It's fine. Um, except for Atlanta. I hate Atlanta. I mean, I I cannot express to you how much I hate that place. Uh, like driving through, if you've ever driven through, like it is just awful. It doesn't mean, matter when when you're going through it. There's almost always delays going through Atlanta, like an hour sometime, maybe more, driving through this this ridiculous this ridiculous city. Um, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but like studies have actually proven that Atlanta is the worst place in the world. Did you know that? Um, <laughs> it's true. Uh, you can look it up. Google it. Um, and, and so, so. I'm already feeling this way and we're coming up on Atlanta like the dread is there cuz I've done it so many times it's like oh it's just going to be. And I I mean I lived in Chicago for several, so like it's not the traffic that bothers me it's just the ridiculousness of of that city. Um and What? You don't have things that you hate? Come on. Actually Actually, this is a side note, um, and no, no other service got this. So consider your vlogging. I had a, had a root canal on uh, on Tuesday, uh, which is a fun experience. If you've not had one, I'd highly recommend it. And, and I, I go into the bathroom just before the procedure starts, and he has a picture of Atlanta. <laughs> in the bathroom, and I'm already f- anyway. <laughs> That's what I think of that place. So we're we're coming up on Atlanta. We're still about 40 miles outside of it, and and all of a sudden our, our Garmin GPS starts yelling at us, like, like abandon all hope, basically. Like, <laughs> leave this road now, exit immediately, like, massive delays ahead. But the road we're on at that moment is fine. Like, everything's great, we can see, we're moving, it's, it's not a problem. Um, but it, exit now, exit, like, it's, it's just panicking. And so, you know, we get out... Google Maps to see if we can get a second opinion, right, um, and corroborate the evidence. And, and Google Maps actually actually said, like, exit now or you will die of old age on this road. <laughs> um, and so we're debating, like, "Do we leave? It's a perfectly good road. Everything's fine. We're moving. What do we do? And we're out in the middle of nowhere, just just on the other side of, of Atlanta. Um, and so we're talking about, we, right or wrong, I don't know what you would do, right or wrong, this time we, we obeyed our devices, you know. Um, and we exited. I'll never know, right? We'll never know if it was better or not, uh, if that was the right choice. In fact, I, I think I'll ask Jesus one day in heaven, like, is that the right? And I imagine him at that moment saying, yeah, even I hate Atlanta. Um, it'd be a good bonding moment for us. But, but right or wrong, like, it doesn't matter, right or wrong, I regretted that moment, that, that decision from, the, like, the second we left the highway. Like, as soon as we were off the interstate, I was like, that was, that was terrible. Uh, what are we doing? Because uh, we exited with like 100 other people, at least, to all, you know, obeying our, our devices. And, and we're, le- we're led off into the middle of nowhere. I'm talking like absolute boonies, Confederate flag flying, back roads, side roads, practically dirt roads. Georgia, I mean, it's, it's an experience, okay? And for like an hour, we're just wandering around. Uh, oh, you know, turn here, and okay, yeah, I guess so. You know, before we finally get back on the interstate. And again, right or wrong, we don't, we don't know, but we regretted that. I regretted that the whole time. I wanted to turn around. I mean, Kelly and I argued. I yelled at the kids, like, certain words out of my mouth, right? It, it all happened in that, that moment. I wanted to go back, but I also did turning turn around would not help, right? Like, at some point in that detour, we'd simply just gone too far, right? And you just, you just got to go with it. I wanted to turn around, but I knew, I knew we'd gone too far, which is, I think, an experience we've all had, right? I mean, one way, one way or another, whether it's driving, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's just, like, in life as a whole, like, you're on a path at some point, you're convinced it's the wrong one, or at least all the evidence around you points, like, this is not working out like I thought it would. But it feels just too late to do anything about it. You know, so a job decision, right? Uh, a relationship, Um, some some big life choice, or or even just your own sense of right and wrong. Like, I know I shouldn't do that thing, but man, sometimes it just feels like it's too late to do anything about it. And we see that with everyone in this story. All of them have gone too far. The religious leaders have gone too far. Pilate, too far. Judas has gone too far. And here's the question I've been wrestling with, the question I think for all of us this morning. What do you do when you've gone too far? What do you do in those, those moments when you, know, when you know it's too far? Because the, the religious leaders, right, they defend themselves, and they, they'll die, essentially, justifying their actions. Pilate, like, he, he deflects his, his guilt, right? He washes his hands, shifts the blame. And, and Judas, he despairs. He just he gives up right it's useless it's pointless it's hopeless looking at what they've done they defend they deflect or they despair what do you do when you've gone too far okay so we're almost there almost done with Matthew it's getting close like you can look right it's not too far just another page or so in your bible and and we've been walking through this this final week of Jesus we're at A new day it's friday terrible friday good friday the friday you can follow along in chapter 27 if you want to or beginning with verse 1 matthew tells us when morning came all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against jesus to put him to death they made they made their plans right and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to pilate the governor Then, when judas his betrayer saw that jesus was condemned he changed his mind now let's let's stop there because we're introduced to these three characters we've seen them uh except for Pilate, right we've seen them along the way in other in other spots Uh, but these three characters all playing a different role but all contributing to the death of the son of god and first matthew draws our attention to the religious leaders and they defend themselves right? They're, they're going to do anything they can to defend their, their position, their, their power, their, their way of life, their comfort, like you name it at all costs. It doesn't really matter. They, they're going to do anything at this point to destroy Jesus. And if you remember the story from last week, if you're here, like they haven't slept all night, right? They had this, this ridiculous sham trial, essentially like a kind of a lynching or building up to, to a lynching where they condemned Jesus in, in their sort of religious courts. And again, they're conspiring to murder him. They're making their final plans and in walks Judas the betrayer he's had a little sellers remorse wants to go back and see if he can get a refund and he decides to give them, give the money back see if he can start like i didn't mean it guys like, it's just ridiculous. Like, what does he think is going to happen there? Like, they have Jesus in his clutch. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, here's, thanks for the money back. Here's Jesus. I mean, well, of course not. Like, they have him where they want him. It's no good what Judas is doing. And I love, I love this little detail that Matthew includes here. I mean, it's easy just to, to read over and not even notice, right? Uh, but it just fascinates me. So they, they take the money back. It's Judas? It's kind of like he, he tosses it on the counter and, and walks away, right? But they know that it's been tainted. And so they're like, well, we can't put that back in the offering box, right? This is blood money. We can't do that. So verse 6, it says, it's not lawful to put these coins into the treasury since it's it's blood money. And again, it's an easy thing to, to, to just kind of pass over and not even really think about. But like, just stop for a second. Listen to what they're doing. Like, this is a perfect example of what Jesus accused them of earlier of straining out a fly while swallowing a camel. Right? He he said that that's how they that's how they work. These these religious leaders they're they're so careful. Oh, we got to get the fly out of our suit, but they're choking down a a camel. I mean, so picture the conversation. They're like, oh gosh, this money is tainted. We can't possibly do anything with the treasury with that. I mean, it was used for for a murder. Let's 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 figure out another path for it and hurry up so we can go kill him. Right? I mean, that's that's like like do they not see? They're keeping their little tiny rules at the expense of something so essential. But people, this is the danger of legalism, isn't it? That's one of the prime ways that you and I defend ourselves, isn't it? We do it. We we make these little rules, these little standards, say, well, I'm not going to do that, so I'm a good person, right? I feel good about myself. I'm not like those people, right? So we come with this little list of whatever it is. I don't do this, 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 this. Meanwhile, right, we're trying to, you know, crucify Jesus, right? I mean, it's just ridiculous what they're doing. They're oblivious to the train wreck in their heart. And if you think you can keep all your little rules... I mean, there's nothing wrong with rules. We all have them. But if you actually think you can obey them, then I mean, you're, you're at great risk of believing that you're good enough, oblivious to the train wreck in your heart. It's one of the ways we defend ourselves. I'm good enough. I deserve this. It's fine. We make all these little moral deals with ourselves. Let me give an example of that. I hesitate to this. You, to share this, but I'm going to anyway. I think eight o'clock is still mad at me. Nine thirty, I'm not sure. Um, But I'm going to tell you this anyway. So when we were in Florida, because it's just it's it's exactly what you just talked about with straining out the 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 Uh, But we were in Florida. We drove by um, a a Hooters. Drove by. Okay, that's all. It's all happened. Drove by. Um, And I'm not making this up. So they had a marquee, you know, like a sign with little letters, you know, specials or whatever on there. Um, and it said fish fry for Lent. Like, just think about that for a second. You know, some Christians give up certain things for Lent, right, to enter into the suffering, and traditionally there are some groups that have given up meat on, on Fridays, right? So the idea here is, like, you can be a good Christian. You can keep your little regulations and meanwhile, let's go look at, you know, whatever, right? Uh, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, again, you can like, you can hear the conversation, can't you? I would never eat meat on Friday during Lent. <laughs> never! Let's go exploit some women, should we? Let's do that. I mean, the fish was delicious, but... <laughs> just kidding. It's a joke. Um... Didn't go. Okay. Uh, I haven't been to Hooters since I was in college and my aunt took me. So that that was weird. We'll save that story for another time. That was one of the lowest moments of my life, I think. But you could see how backwards this is, right? Of, Of what the religious leaders are doing and the ways in which you and I do it all the time, whether it's that, as ridiculous as that or the many ways. Well, I do this and I do this, and so, you know, it's, I can fudge on this area, right? It's like I had a salad for lunch so I can eat a pizza for dinner, right? That's, that's what we do. <laughs> I keep this rule and this rule, so I'm a great person. Meanwhile, we can have our heart in the toilet, scheming to crucify Christ. Do not underestimate your ability to justify yourself to explain your actions, to defend them, right? I'm an expert at it. Way, ways of making myself feel okay about what's really going on in here. Don't underestimate your ability. But it actually gets worse for these guys. I mean, I think for us as well in some ways. Okay, so they've, they've already condemned Jesus, if you're in the story, um, by religious law. But they have they have no power to, to execute him, so they have to go to, to Roman law. They have to go to the uh, to Pilate, right? Uh, they have to prove that Jesus is a political threat, not just that he's a blasphemer under their, their, their you know their language there. And so they drag him before before Pilate. Even Pilate thinks it's ridiculous. Verse 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And so he tries to talk the, the crowd out of it. And it was the custom during the feast to like give away a prisoner. Um, you know, as a kind of a a good faith for the Romans and the Jews as they worked together. It's kind of a a weird custom, but it's something that they did. And and so Pilate is like, well, of course they're going to pick Barabbas, or Jesus, right? Of course they are. They're not going to pick Barabbas. Barabbas is an insurrectionist, a murderer, a thief. Like, he is a terrible, terrible person, and Jesus is Jesus. And so Pilate has this idea of, well, of course the crowds are going to pick Jesus. Well, verse 20, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Not just destroy, crucify. On their own evil path, they drag everyone down with them. It's another area of the way we defend ourselves, right? Misery loves company, so does our sin. So, so does the, the ways in which we, like we know something's wrong, but if we get other people like involved in it, Right, or we, we hang out with people who live the same way or have the same values or the same ideas of, as us, then then it doesn't, it doesn't feel nearly as bad, right? It feels a little, bit, a little bit safer. And so together, they defend a position built on lies. They know Jesus isn't a threat to Rome. He's done nothing wrong. But they've gone too far, and they're convinced Jesus has got to go. And I know... We'd never do that, right? But kind of. I mean, we'll keep our own little rules to pat ourselves on the back. But we'll also gather people around us to agree with us. Who will do the padding for us. Who don't maybe see our sins like, like we know God does. And I think that's even becoming more and more common in the, in the culture we live in. Like, we, As we become more and more isolated, more and more polarized, like you don't actually have to talk to anybody you don't disagree with. I mean you can go out of your way to I mean all you gotta do like defriend them, right? Just do that. Like I don't wanna hear that anymore because they disagree with me. Some of them defriend them. I'll change the channel, right? Watch something else, uh, switch churches, right? We'll we'll have all these little ways in which we can gather around us people who just who just always agree with us. Like like echo chambers, right? Where all we really hear is our own voice bouncing back and forth at one another. Oh yeah, you're okay. It's good, you're fine. I think the same way as you. It's not really a sin. And we defend ourselves, or or even when we are opposed, we'll dig in our heels, won't we? Those rare moments when we're we're sort of caught into conflict. I mean, I remember early on in our marriage, I think I've grown since then, I hope I have. um, Kelly and I were arguing, and I I remember clearly, like, at some point in the argument, realizing that she was right, but, like, still arguing my point, right? Have you done that? Come on, you've done that, right? Where you're actually, you're arguing something that you no longer believe in simply to save face. Simply as an object of of self-defense. I mean, now I just assume she's right. um, And that's helped a lot. Um, (laughs) But we do that, don't we? We do it with others. Worse, we do every one of these things with God. Finding ways to clear our own name to make sure that we're okay or feel okay. Friends, a defensive heart is a dangerous heart. What do you do when you've gone too far? Do you defend? Maybe not, maybe that's not you so much. Maybe you're a bit more like Pilot and you deflect. Not all of us get defensive, at least not in the same way. Some of us just shift the blame, right? Sometimes they're just more passive than, uh, than that, we just want to kind of like hide from it like, or move it on to, to somebody else. And, and Pilate, like, he's a fascinating character in here, isn't he? I think we often paint him as a weakling. He's so easily swayed by the crowds. He just does what everybody wants, right? It's kind of ridiculous, the picture that we, we often have of him. I mean, there's no way he could hold such a high position in the Roman Empire without being absolutely ruthless. In fact, most likely he's a retired army uh, officer, who was promoted to governor, and he ruled Judea with an iron fist. In fact, early historians talk about, um, uh, at least one time, uh, they write early, early on in, in sort of the historical documents, Josephus is one of them, talks about a time when there was protesters in Judea. And I kind of, you know, I picture like people with picket lines or whatever, probably different than that. Um, but like, they're protesting in, in Judea. And so Pilate, his solution is like, well, I'll just send in my soldiers dressed like the protesters And then he waited until they were all distributed throughout the the protesting crowds, and they're all like, yeah, you know, protesting or whatever. And then he ordered a bloodbath, just killed all of them. This is no pushover, right? He's he's not just, oh, I'm so afraid of the crowds and they're gonna they're gonna hurt me. I mean, he he's got the Roman Empire behind him. Like if anybody's got Pilate's back, right? And he's smart. He, know, he knows the religious leaders are just envious, and he, he knows that Jesus is different. There's not, like, he, he just knows, even in that small encounter, verse 13, then Pilate said to Jesus, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. And the Pharisees, they, they cry out for his death, and Pilate he pleads with them, I mean, bless his heart, right, he does do that. Verse 23, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And even his wife had this dream. This is kind of a strange part of the story. Like she actually had a dream the night before uh, about this, this righteous man, this good man named Jesus. And she warns her husband, have nothing to do with him. Don't, don't get involved. Don't, don't let him be killed. Like, step back from it. But they demand that Jesus be killed. And again, Pilate is no coward. He just doesn't care. Like, what's, an, what's another dead Jew on his hands? He's slaughtered plenty by this point. Jesus is just one more in a long list of people who got in his way and he didn't care enough to do anything about. I mean, he does try to make himself feel a little bit better, or at least to be able to go back to his wife and explain what happened, right? Verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning... He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. It's not my fault, as he signs the death warrant. Knowingly, he condemns a righteous man, but blames the crowds. He deflects all the responsibility off himself, like, as if that's even possible. Uh, Washing your hands, right? It doesn't wash the guilt like Lady Macbeth trying to wash, you know, blood out, right? Getting it out. And again, I know we're not Pilate, but I don't know about you, but I see myself here. Don't you? I think there are two main ways in particular that we deflect our guilt. We see them with Pilate, and I think I see it in my life. Maybe you see it in yours. And the most, the most obvious is the blame one, right? Like we look at our mess, our problems, our sins, our guilt, our shame, like you name it. And I don't think we do this consciously necessarily, but it's kind of the, in the background of, of who we are as broken humans. Like, we look at our mess, and then we look for somebody to accuse. We so quickly want it off of myself. Well, the devil made me do it. That's kind of, the, you know, the old big way. Of, but, like, well, if my spouse wasn't, like, blank, then I wouldn't be this way. If my kids hadn't provoked me, if my boss or my company was, was different, if my coworkers or my, my roommate or my friend or my sibling or whoever it is, like, it's, it's not... It's not me. I wouldn't do that. We blame our circumstances. I had no choice. My hands were tied. We're so quick to blame something outside of us for our problems, for our mistakes. Or the other, the other path is we just claim passivity. I mean, Pilate, he doesn't actually put the nails into Jesus' body, so I guess he's good, right? Right? I mean, Pilate's real sin here isn't his action, it's his inaction. And I, don't, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty decent, I think, at recognizing my sins when it's stuff that I do wrong, like bad stuff I know I'm not supposed to do and I do it anyway, like I, I, I tend to see and know and recognize, but, but this, when it comes to, to stuff I should have done but didn't, sins of omission, I'm lousy. Those are a lot harder to see, aren't they? And we can choose to remain passive or just lazy or ignorance is bliss. But the reality is it's not just the bully at school who's guilty, is it? No, you are too if you do nothing, aren't you? I mean, can't, can't silence be just as sinful as speech? I mean, it's not just our, our lawmakers and their systems of injustice, it's we who elect them. And it's not just our actions that condemn Jesus to a cross, but our inaction. In fact, there's this little verse in James. I mean, I've always kind of hated this verse. Because it, it it reveals the, the constant deflection in my heart. James writes: So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin. Ugh. So let me ask, when you've gone too far, who do you blame? Well, the GPS told me to go this way, right? Stupid Atlanta, right? Who do you blame? Or what's, what's your excuse for the good things that you've left undone? The good that you know you should have done or been a part of, that you've avoided, neglected? what's your excuse a deflecting heart is a dangerous heart what do we do when we've gone too far we deflect we defend and when those don't work we can end up like judas can't we in some some way of, of despair maybe not to the extent of him but even just giving up like what who cares what's the point i'll never change i can't i can't be that way and so we just we just stop right we just don't even care anymore I know this. I know this, is, this is silly, but like at one point in that that drive in rural Georgia, I mean, I I literally turned to Kelly and the kids and said, um, "Should we just move here? Like, should we just like we're never going to get out of here? We should just pull over and start a new life. It's going to be okay. We'll be together. And we can do this, right?" I mean, it was that kind of moment. It's no use. I mean, that's that's despair, and we know what it looks like when it actually matters, right? That was a joke, but you know, you know, in your life and mine, the pain of just saying, "I, it's no use." I'll never change. It's never going to get any better. There's nothing I can do about it. And I don't, I don't know why Judas changes his mind here. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous in some ways. It's like, did you really not know where this was going? Did you not know that Jesus was going to be condemned? Did you not heard and seen all the, the trouble that was happening? I mean, and did you really think you were going to fix it? And seeing that he'd gone too far, seeing he couldn't fix it, that he couldn't solve it, make it right, or make himself feel better about it, And believing that it was no use no defense no deflection he takes his own life i mean that is the epitome of despair isn't it i feel for judas don't you like being so overwhelmed with guilt and shame that that was what he believed was the best option for him and he carried it to his grave and i think we know don't we we, we know tastes of that, maybe not to that extent, I hope not. I mean if you feel that way or you're in a spot like Judas, please talk to somebody, talk to me or one of us on staff we want we want to be a safe place to, to walk with you through whatever has led to your your place of, of despair if that, if that describes you and hopefully it's it's not to this extent, but we all know the weight of despair, don't we and the vicious cycle that comes with it, I mean, there's psychological research to back this up, that addicts often fall into this, that you do something terrible, and you feel awful about it, and then you want to, to make yourself feel better, you want to fix it, or, you, or maybe even you feel like you need to punish yourself, so you do something worse, and then you feel bad again, and you're in that place, and then you do, do something again, it's lower and lower and lower, and this deadly cycle can overcome us. And this is one of the things that Satan is so good at, isn't it? Don't minimize his involvement, I and mean, we don't deflect your guilt to him, right, to blame him. But don't minimize his action in your life. Satan damns us twice, doesn't he? I mean, first he tempts us into sin. A- and then after we've done that, he tempts us into despair and shame of you'll never change and nobody could ever love you and, and God could never love you and Jesus would never have died for you. Like, and we, we get lower and lower. And then when we're there, like he tempts us again, right? Have you experienced that cycle? Feeling like we've gone too far, we defend ourselves, I'm okay. When that doesn't work, we deflect, we blame somebody else, somebody else's fault. And when that doesn't work, we despair. We just give up. It's not just you and me, is it? It's not just the guys in this story. This is, this is the human response to our guilt and our shame since the very beginning. You can see, about, see it with Adam and Eve, like right in the garden, the very first sin. This is what we humans do in our messes. Defend, deflect, and despair. All of which leads to death. Not just Jesus' death, mine. Yours. But when we've gone too far, they feel like the only option, don't they? And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head And put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And Jesus goes to that cross to give us another way so that we don't have to go back to those old defaults over and over and over again. He dies giving us another, another way so that even when we've gone too far, you're never too far gone. That's, that's what the cross means. That's what Jesus came for, that even when we're convinced we've gone too far and you feel all around you and within you, you're never too far gone. I mean, that's the real irony of the story, isn't it? Facil- facilitating this murder They are also making possible a brand new way of dealing with our sin, a new way of handling our guilt and our shame. And instead of the normal ways of disaster, right, that is death and resurrection, would actually free us from them and give us an alternative. That He can be our deliverance. And if if this is true, if if Jesus actually came for this, it means you don't have to defend yourself anymore no matter what you've done, no matter what's in your past, what you hold with you, no matter who else in your life is accusing you, you don't have to defend yourself anymore because the Son of God, if you're with Him, stands ready to come to your defense, no matter what, and declare you whole and beautiful and good and loved and worthy of His his sacrifice. He stands ready to defend you. You don't have to deflect anymore or blame or hide or or look for an excuse. You don't have to endlessly, tirelessly try to wash your hands when he stands ready to wash your heart, to actually purify you from everything you've done wrong and everything that you've left undone that you should have done right. And you don't have to despair. For he is forming us into the people that he created us to be, transforming us, yes, slowly, sometimes painfully, But this is why he came, and with him there is always hope. And so, friends, let your defense become surrender. Let your deflection become repentance. And let him turn your despair into gladness. Because of the cross and the empty tomb, even when you are convinced you've gone too far, you're never too far gone. pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this. And Jesus, I pray that you would show us, show me the areas in which I continue to run to my own defense, the structures that I put in place to make myself feel okay. Help me to see them and turn from them, knowing that you have already declared me whole in your sight. God, I pray that we would see the areas of, of blame in our life, the ways that we the people that we've accused or or shifted our guilt upon, or even just the passivity or laziness or preference towards ignorance of the things around us, preferring to to not do the good that you call us to. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, only you can do this. Would you take our despair? And would you turn it into joy, Knowing that all of these things, all of of the mistakes in our lives, that you are turning them through Christ into something beautiful. That you promised to do that. And so would you please do that. Do that in me. Do that here in us. And help us to celebrate what all this means for us.